Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's podcast is sponsored by Benign Images. Benign Images is a storyteller consulting company. Through meaningful dialogue and guidance, they help storytellers of all kinds to tell the stories that they feel they have a need to tell. Whether it's through simple editor services, consulting, or helping creatives to set up an effective work habit, Benign Images will work with you to help you become a better storyteller. Start your project with them today by visiting their website, benignimages.com. That is benignimages.com. B-E-N-I-G-N-Images.com. Go check them out. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang, y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we've got on a political and social sort of commentator and a YouTuber. I don't know exactly how to describe her, but she's a very interesting young lady. She goes by the YouTube name Critical Condition, aka CC. CC, I'd like to welcome you to the show. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. So that was probably one of my least succinct ways of introducing a guest ever. So why don't you tell the people who don't know you a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Uh, I think your intro was pretty good. It was pretty spot on. I I call myself uh, a commentator, um, like a political commentator. Uh, My my content has changed a lot over the course of the past um, year or so. And it started off with me just being kind of confused um, as as a liberal and kind of really starting to get um, attracted to the right wing and to Trump and MAGA and that whole thing a couple of years back. And because I didn't really have any friends who were right wing, um, I sort of reached out to the online community to find people of like mind and to sort of discuss these ideas that seemed a little too taboo to discuss in my more liberal and feminist circles. So that's how that, that's where I started off. And that evolved into... Uh, the content that I now make, which is a little bit more focused. I I like to talk about 
uh, femininity and, um, you know, motherhood and family life. Um, I, I try to promote the things that I think are important and sometimes get left by the wayside um, in the right wing community. And with regard to when I talk about politics, it's really just sort of news commentary. I think um, as things kind of get a little more absurd out there, it's, it's easier to kind of um, you know, poke fun at, at what's happening and uh, try and laugh because it's at this point, it's either laugh or cry. <laughs> well, well, you are talking to the British female deadlift and bench press champion right now. So don't, don't let the beard confuse you. I am a stunning and brave young lady. <laughs> that tweet, that tweet was actually the one that um, made me aware of you. <laughs> that, that was so funny. As soon as I saw that tweet, I was just like, this guy gets a follow. That. That, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's really strange that um, I've been joking that, I, that that's the sign of female privilege. That um, I've been plugging, I've been plugging away at my music and everything I do for the past like ten years, and then I identified as a woman for a couple of seconds, and suddenly, like you know, all these millions of people saw me. So, well, this is, this is the sort of world that we live in because I mean, there are, there are lots of guys out there who are doing the same thing, only they're not joking. They, it's real life for them, and this is this is the kind of uh, world that female athletes are are having to compete in. It's so unfair. It's so obvious, I think, to most athletes uh, that there are some very um, characteristic differences between men and women and the gender ideology that has seeped into every aspect of life, including athletics. Uh, it colors it with this absurdity. And that's why I, I think, you know, when people like you make these sort of jokes and this little poking um, it gets such attention because it's kind of like a pressure valve. People get to laugh. People get to sort of feel that what what they're what they think and what they feel inside is finally validated in a way because most of the time in polite society we have to bite our tongue. Mm. Yeah, I get a lot of uh, direct messages and emails on on every social media channel. Just kind of like, thank you, like thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I can't do what you do. Like I need to be anonymous on here. You know, like people who they won't have a profile picture. They won't have their real yeah. name, but they're like, look, man, I'm silently supporting you. I work at this university or I work at this company or I'm doing this or that. And I can't say what you're saying because I'll get lynched. And um, it's interesting. So what do you, you know, I've got, I've got a whole bunch of questions I want to ask you. Sure. But what, so while we're on this topic, I mean, what do you think it is that has, led to this situation. We're talking about people being afraid to voice very basic opinions and even facts. The censorship isn't coming from the government. The censorship is kind of coming from from within, right? People are kind of yeah. silencing themselves and are worried about being, I guess, ostracized. I guess that's maybe how you even felt. And where do you, where do you think this stems from? Why do you think in 2019 and in the past couple of years, it's really reached this point where, in your words, it's getting a little bit absurd? Uh, I think uh, it, it comes from a lot of different places, uh, but I think one of the main places where we see this this sort of uh, this uh, politically correct um, enforcement is it comes mostly from academia. That's been my experience. I didn't never ex I was never exposed to these things, these ideas, until I went to university and I got my liberal arts degree, um, and I sort of got my programming, uh, <laughs> mm. but. Um, the the sort of establishment, the institution of academia. I mean, it has value in society. Normally, this is this these are the institution that we look to for truth. Um, we we give them a kind of um, elite 
position in the hierarchy, you know, because we assume that the people who are there, who are running it, are there because they're competent, because they're the best of the best, because they worked hard to get there. Um, and we can trust them. You know, we can trust that what they're saying is backed up by either science or immense study. And um, unfortunately, uh, the academia has been kind of infiltrated with uh, what I see as uh, a kind of uh, Marxism. And that that sort of spills over into um, the social sciences, the softer sciences. And because these people are very loud, <laughs> I mean, I think I think most people in, 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 in general society, like they don't actually they don't actually feel this way. And it's not natural to to think that, you know, men and women have zero differences. I think most people just um, they're aware that there are obviously differences, but because the, there's these people that they're uh, a very loud minority and they hold positions of power that historically we've always looked to and trusted, we allow them to kind of bully us in a way. And I think that the waves of censorship that we've seen on social media over the past uh, few weeks, um, especially with, you know, like Paul Joseph Watson and Laura Loomer, those people, and then more and just back up a little bit further, Alex Jones, um, and more people from the dissident right, even back further from that, that creates this atmosphere online where people know if they start saying things that aren't in alignment with the established, accepted narrative, they're going to get either docs, they're going to lose their job, they're going to be ostracized, they're going to be called names, they're going to be attacked, maybe they'll lose their platform. And so it creates this kind of... Um, this, this sort of self-censorship, I think, in people, which is really dangerous because I think speech and true speech is an integral part of a democratic society. Speaking is uh, like thinking. And if we're not able to really speak what we believe to be true and figure things out and be wrong, um, I, think that, I think that does a great disservice to um, individuals in a free society, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very it's very bizarre. Um, I graduated from university about eleven years ago now, and when I was in university, so many things that are now a thing were not a thing. Yeah, <laughs> really, like so many of these ideas that have sort of bubbled up in the past five years. I mean, I guess they were hiding away quietly in the shadows since maybe the the sixties or the seventies, and they've kind of been slowly, slowly gathering steam. But it seems yeah. like it really it really came to a head, I want to say, in around, I want to say, like, sort of 2013, 2014. It, it seems like lots of these ideas, not just one thing, but a whole bunch of these ideologies suddenly popped up. And I was like, whoa, what, what are all these terms and words and phrases that I'm now hearing, which were never a thing before? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's the thing that constantly confuses me, because I'm, I'm often, I often use the word they. So, I mean, we've both been doing it. You've been saying they, they, and I'm yeah. saying they, and I don't even know who they are. That's the thing. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. who, I'm like, who, who is, <laughs> I'm there, I'm there with my, yeah, I'm there with my like tinfoil hat on. Like, like, who is they, who am I even, who is, who's propagating all this stuff? Like, well, it's well, I tend to think of when I, when I say they is the people who benefit mm -hmm. from this. Um, I think a lot of the people who are propagating these things are not really the they that we should be worried about. I think the they that we should be worried about are the people who are the elite, mm. the people who um, own our political parties, 
uh, from behind the scenes and can influence them uh, via lobbying and actually benefit from having a public which is divided against itself. If that's divided on ideological lines, great. If that's divided on um, the lines of your sexual identification or maybe your race or your ethnicity or your religion, there's an infinite a number of ways that people can be divided and pitted against each other. And I mean, it's it's a very common saying, you know, divide and conquer. Yeah. If, if people are fighting amongst themselves, um, the people who, you know, are cashing in on this sort of uh, chaos in society can get away with it more easily. Yeah, it, it does often seem to me. I mean, one of the things that annoys me mo- most about lots of these ideas and the whole identity politics thing is that I feel it's just a, it's like it's a huge distraction. Yes. And it's so smart because even people like myself and yourself who in a way sort of see it for what it is, I think, mm-hmm. and kind of try to rise above it, you still end up talking about it of because course. it's still, you know, it's still there. It's still like it's a distraction from, I think, where people's focus and attention really should be. It's like what, whatever country you take or whatever community you take, it's like if you really wanted to make things better, you wouldn't be pushing these narratives that are splitting men against women, women that are splitting black against white, rich against poor. Um, I don't know. I don't, you know, there, like you said, there's so many ways you can split that pie. And it seems like in the, I want to say in the nineties and the thousands and the early 2010s, it seems like the Western world had reached a pretty sort of a, a happy, a happy medium where those lines had started to people kind of, you know, weren't, weren't obsessing over these things again, you know, uh, I don't know, white privilege or, yeah. this thing or male supremacy or <laughs> I- internalized misogyny or uh you know th- there's like hundreds of terms right there's yeah. just it's like a package it's like this little weird ideological secular religion and all these ideas come as a package and me as a black guy if i'm like no i think white privilege is a bunch of junk i don't believe in it then people start getting mad at me right i, I start getting like hateful messages like oh why yeah. why don't why don't yeah i'm like why would i why would I, like, I don't see evidence for it, right? I don't, yeah. I live in the UK. I don't see, I've been to like 60 different cities in the UK. Like I'm a musician. I travel around a lot. I meet hundreds of thousands of people. This is not to say, you know, racism does not exist, but I do not think the UK is a racist country, right? And then yeah. there's there's someone else who lives in the same place and they're there like, you know, going, oh, this is that. And, and I'm kind of like, it's weird. I feel like I live in some sort of parallel universe where, uh, I don't know. Or, or the same thing happens with, um, you touched on feminism earlier. Like yeah. I find, I find a lot of those ideas also annoying because keep in mind, I grew up in Saudi Arabia. So, oh, wow. yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so if someone wants to talk about, you know, females not being viewed equally in society, yeah. and with a lot, right? I, I've actually lived in a place for where there are laws on the books that mean, yeah. okay, men can do this, but women cannot do this, right? You can do that. but And so when I'm here in the UK and you've got all these laws and completely equal law and you've got equal pay acts and everything like that, and then these women are still running around screaming that they're sick of being oppressed and they want equality. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what do you want? Like, <laughs> I've never understood it. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, they'll have marches and we're marching. What are you marching for? equality and i'm like what do you mean i don't know my my brain just gets really confused because i i don't 
I don't get it. Well, these women, these women have been sold, sold the sort of story that they are the victim, right? There's been kind of like a boogeyman, the patriarchy that's been set up in opposition to them, and all of their mis, um, all the things that they um, have, you know, failed in in life, or any hardship that they've ever experienced, or anything that they may may feel has been holding them back in life, can be projected onto this boogeyman. So it's it's a really easy way for people who aren't really interested in taking responsibility for their lives and for their, themselves to project onto the world what is ultimately their fault. Mm. Um, that's that's one of the most sinister things that I think um, bo bothers me about feminism is that it takes, it takes women's agency away because when we are able to say, you know, this is my weakness, I'm going to identify it, I'm going to work on it, I'm going to overcome it, and I'm going to find redemption in it. Um, that's a extremely powerful experience that you rob people from when you set it up as this, um, you know, vic victimize victimization kind of um, mm. mentality. I think it's I think it's despicable. I think I think feminism does a lot more to hurt women, to be honest, than it does to help them. Oh, it's lovely to hear a woman say that. <laughs> I, I, I get called all sorts of things when I say. <laughs> that, that was nice. That was nice and clean. I'm like, okay, cool. I feel val I feel validated now. I feel validated because <laughs> if, if I say that, you know, it's like, oh, well, you're part of the patriarchy, of course. So yes, know, yeah. you've got to, what do they say? Male fragility. That's the one, right? Yeah. So well, I'm, it's the I'm, same I'm... thing when I say I don't believe in um, like, you know, uh, white privilege. When I say that, of Ooh. course, people are like, oh, look at this, like, you know, Nazi girl with her dusty uh -oh. hair. Like, who cares what she's saying? She's a part of it. You know, yeah. like I get the same thing when we when we speak on behalf of the the, the, the so people. so do I so just don't 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 worry about those people <laughs> you can't you can't and I've gotten it so many times at this point it's like water off a duck's back yeah. um it doesn't bother me anymore but it really I think it really does set up a dynamic um between people of opposing views where once like you said you know maybe 30 40 years ago people would have had you know a kind of maybe lesser version of these views um but they could still talk they could still dialogue with one another. We can't do that anymore. And that's kind of the alarming thing about what's happened in society. We've all become so polarized that discussion has become you know, next to impossible. Yeah. And the sad thing is, I mean, 30 to 40 years ago, some of these issues were a lot more valid, mm -hmm. right? They were, they were more valid, right? If someone wants to talk about, you know, if someone grew, lived through, the, I don't know, the, the 40s or the 50s or the 60s, mm -hmm. And, you know, they want to talk about sexism or homophobia or racism or something like that. You know, these things haven't, haven't been entirely stamped out in society, mm -hmm. but compared to the past and compared to the majority of the world, like whether you're in the UK, the USA, Canada, like doing pretty well, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it's, it's going pretty well. Like, I don't know how much faster people want things to, to go really. And I often joke that I'm a better feminist than most feminists yeah. because I, I'm like, all these things you're saying, this is disempowering, right? Yeah. If you believe that there is this thing called the patriarchy, which supposedly I'm a member of, I haven't been invited to any meetings, but, um, <laughs> but I'm like, if there's this sort of invisible ghost that is just oppressing women silently and is just seeped into every aspect of culture, Oftentimes I'll challenge someone with these, with these viewpoints and they'll say, oh, well, it's because it's, it's systemic or it's structural yeah. or it's institutional. So you can't really see it, but it, it's, it's there. And I'm just like, well, what are we supposed to do with that? 
Yeah. Right? If, if, if you can be like, okay, that employer or that company or that person or whatever. Yeah. Or a law or, or something. Yeah. yeah. Then it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'll be, I'll be with you. Yeah. But if you just say, oh, there's the British system is just structurally sexist or, or racist or whatnot. I'm, I'm kind of like, well, what do we do? What do we do with that? Like that just yeah. makes you, that just makes you angry and it makes it harder to, you know, take that personal responsibility and succeed in anything. Because if I, if I genuinely believed that I lived in a society that just like despised me because of, you know, my immutable attributes, I'm, I'm not going to succeed. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to do all the things I can. Cause I'm always going to be in my mind thinking, well, the whole game is rigged against me. So yeah. why, 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 yeah, why, why, why try, right? If you think yeah. the whole system is, you know, deeply, deeply bigoted, then I guess, you know, a, a tiny percentage of people, it might make them go harder, but I think the majority would just be like, well, you know, this is not going to bother. This is the thing as well with feminism is that there is, in my opinion, men and women aren't equal. Um, men on average are smarter. They have a higher IQ than women. That's why you see more men in STEM. Um, they're stronger. You proved that, you know, in front of the whole world. There is there is a biological advantage to being a man. You have a longer fertility window. You know, men are fertile well into their 60s and 70s, whereas women have a shorter fertility window. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, the sort of the, the part of being a woman where uh, your body is designed for reproduction in the feminist viewpoint is something which is oppressive. So there, there are these natural things. In my opinion, this is the way God made us. This is the way God made the world. We some women have, you know, our advantages and men have their advantages. And feminists have been sold the lie that the natural order of things is this is the subject of their oppression. And they seek empowerment by trying to evade what is na is natural to them right so that's why you see women trying to compete with men on every single dimension um and the women who are the exceptions you know a woman like ronda rousey being given like you know a star celebrity status because she can epitomize uh for many women what we what we will never be able to because most women you know we don't we can't compete the same way that a ronda rousey can right yeah. So women, that that's part of the reason why I talk about the things that I talk about on my channel is that, um, you know, we as women have, these are our weaknesses, these are our skills. Um, and if we learn to love and embrace um, our femininity and our biology, instead of trying to uh, imitate and mimic men, we will be a lot more fulfilled in our lives. We'll be able to succeed more. We'll be a lot more content. Cause I don't know if you're aware of this, but women, women have, um, self-reported, uh, on numerous studies around the Western world as being less happy, more depressed, more on pharmaceutical drugs than any other decade, um, of polling in history. And I mean, when you look, like you said, things are pretty good. You know, like we're living, we're living in a high tech society where comfort and enjoyment and luxury is around every single corner. So what's causing women to be so unhappy? And I think it's this personally. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree with you. I mean, I often joke that we've moved forward in some ways and, you know, backwards in a lot of ways. Well, it's not really a joke. I think that's certainly in terms of morality and yep. fulfillment and perhaps maturity. I think we are 
certainly, you know, the, the modern Western world, it's, it's regressing in a way. So yeah. we, we're healthier. Well, not, are we even healthier? That's the thing. I don't in think a way, the, the, the medicine, the medicine is better. Yes. Yes. The medicine true. is better. Right. But we are actually less healthy. We're less, we're yeah. less fit. So I, th I think it's like, yeah, you know, we've become wealthier that we have more access to cool stuff. We have better technology, mm -hmm. but morally, spiritually, religiously, we've regressed in a lot of ways. Like I think that oh, if you were to go back to 1970 or 1980, the average person and average society, you know, just had higher standards, you know, both for men and women in terms of like, okay, like you've, you've talked about the feminine already. I mean, on the masculine side, you've got this sort of boy crisis, right? This sort of masculinity yeah. crisis where mm -hmm. guys and young men the sort of traditional roles and things that typically guys would have gone through that would make them a man and feel like a man for a whole bunch of reasons. And some of them, you know, are kind of like, fair enough. That's been stripped away a little bit. And I think it's also part of the reason why things like superhero movies and like video yeah. games and stuff are, are so popular are becoming even more popular because it's like, okay, well, escapism. It's like an escapism. It is. In a way. And, and, I and, and it's also a way to, um, it's like, okay, I can't be that hero in real life. Like maybe I would have been a couple decades ago. Like I can't be that warrior, that provider, whatever, but I can be it in this game or I can watch somebody who's got some superpowers, who's kind of do it and I can live vicariously through them. That's kind of how I see it anyway. Absolutely. And that's the other side of, of, what has damaged society with regard to feminism's pervasiveness. Um, the things that inspired men to carry their burdens with honor, it normally was a pretty girl, you know? A, a girl who would submit to his authority, who would help him raise kids, who would make the home happy, and would, you know, be a partner in life as opposed to a competitor in life. And we see this breakdown um, of, you know, people accepting what is traditionally our gender roles affecting every aspect of life. Why, what, I mean, what incentive do men have to step up to the plate if they're not going to end up having like a loving family at the end of the day, you know? And mm -hmm. the, the way that the dating scene has deteriorated with things like Tinder and, um, you know, women being extremely promiscuous and not wanting to settle down and putting a ton of emphasis on their career, putting their career before relationships, all of those things. Uh, de-incentivize men from, you know, being masculine providers. And now I'm not, I always feel like I have to say this, you know, like just throw in a hashtag, not all so that yeah. um, I don't upset anyone. There will <laughs> always be people who don't fit the mold. And I don't believe that we should crush those people's spirits or that we should clip those wings. Sure. There are going to be some women in STEM and there'll be some men who want to be ballerinas, you know, yeah. knock yourself out. But to sell this kind of ideology to um, kids now. This is this is this is in this is in public school when kids are like six and seven and eight years old. That your gender is nothing. It can be anything you want. Um, there is nothing about your biology that's supposed to influence who your identity is. Um, it's just it's a it's a very very sinister lie because majority of people. Um, a vast majority, like 98% of people um, who are biologically female identify as female and men male. And that... I'd say it's a lot higher than 98%. Well, it's on the rise, uh, this transgender thing. It's on the yeah, rise. May, maybe, maybe in the West. I was going to say on a global level, I'd say like 99.99. Oh. 
easily easily yeah. yes yes on a global level absolutely but in the west it's something that um because children are being propagandized younger and younger and this is something this is something that really disturbs me something that really bothers me is is the targeting of children with this gender ideology um you know kids are impressionable impressionable and they've been they've been sort of um taught that you know if you are this way you're going to get extra attention you're going to get you know um special special sort of um props from everyone and everyone's going to have to be nice to you because if they're not nice to you then they're going to get suspended for being you know a transphobe it it's literally incentivizing confusion mm-hmm. in young children's mind and then when you get to the medical aspect of that where you're you're blocking puberty you're giving hormones i mean we're 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 in uncharted territory with yeah. it and what is happening to the youth today is very very scary to me it's disturbing like you said i mean i think whenever you cross that boundary into kids mm-hmm. then that's where a line needs to be drawn like as far as i'm concerned with that whole issue i'm like look if an individual adult wants to do whatever they want to do i'm not going to approve of everything but i don't mm-hmm. need to approve you don't need zuby's yeah. approval for everything right but if you want to do something you know if you want to go and tattoo a barcode on your forehead i don't recommend it I don't recommend you do that. But if you if you want to, you know, you you can. I don't think yeah. you should do it. I don't know. I I don't think if you're a man, I don't think you should remove your like I think you should think really long and hard before you remove your genitals and, you know, yeah. do any start taking yeah. hormones and stuff like that. If you if you fully thought of it and you've considered it, you know, if that's what makes you happy, go ahead. But with kids, I'm like, no, leave the kids out of it. Like like leave Agreed. leave the kids out of it. It's the same with um you know, like drawing the line at the the sports thing, right? Because that's that's like an invasion on mm-hmm. female privacy and and also just safety. I'm a big, strong dude. You know, I, I'm I'm literally four times, five times as strong as a lot of women. You know, if I'm gonna play rugby or American football or MMA or boxing mm-hmm. or something like that, and it's like, how are people letting this slide? It's it's gone to the stage where the ideology has completely taken over people's mental faculties. It's like the, yeah. you, you, you can't even just think logically and clearly, right? They're, the only way they can process this is, oh, you don't want this because you're a bigot. And yeah. it's just like, what is wrong with you? Like, this is not, this is not some crazy rocket science here. This is, this is very basic biology. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, it, I don't know. In, in some, some ways, I think, I think it might unfortunately need to get worse before yeah. it gets better. I think it might need to get to a stage where it's just so the consequences are just becoming so disastrous mm-hmm. that you know even those people need to be like mm, maybe we uh maybe we need to reconsider this. Maybe maybe some men need to start, you know, competing in the Olympics and smashing women physically and I, yeah. I don't I don't want that to happen. I don't want to no. see that. I don't want to watch that. But I I kind of feel like look, if you're going to let it, you know, that's the logical endpoint of this. That's the logical endpoint. Someone's going to get their bones broken. Someone's going to get concussed. Someone's going to get like seriously hurt in some of these sports. And that might be what it takes for someone to go, oh, maybe we shouldn't um, let men identify as women and box against them. You know what I mean? But um, I don't know. Anyway, uh, what I wanted to do, Cece, I I meant to do this at the beginning, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously we we got straight into the topics. But (laughs) I want to talk a little bit more about your own personal journey. I mean, sure. you said you started out as you started out as a liberal. At, at one point, am I right in saying you were you were also a feminist? 
Uh, okay. So not, Maybe. not really. I always was uncomfortable with feminism, but because like I'm a woman and like a bit of a herd animal, I didn't want to be ostracized <laughs> by my girlfriend. So I was like, yeah, you know, I'm a feminist, but I never would have like worn a feminist t-shirt or gone to a rally or something like that. You know, I did it because I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be accepted, you know? Gotcha. So, so talk us, so talk us through that. I mean, well, I actually, I mean, to be totally honest, I started off, I was raised in a, in a, in a conservative Christian household, quite strict. Um, and I mean, I was in church every Sunday, did the whole thing. Um, and that was the beginning part of my life. And I found, I, I found that very, um, kind of restrictive. And that's something you, you often hear, you know, when young when people are, they grow up in a strict household, they kind of rebel against it sometimes. And so I went off to university um, rejecting the old backwards ways of my Christian conservative family. And I got indoctrinated by a bunch of Marxist professors with, with, with feminist ideology. And I mean, like I used to take feminist courses because what, those what did you study? So I started off in journalism. Mm -hmm. I didn't like journalism. So then I switched to mass communication, which is kind of a broader form of journalism, which, um, would encompass like TV, radio, journalism, fashion, media of all sorts, and also film. I'm smiling because it sounds like uh, mass communication sounds like propaganda. It is literally propaganda. <laughs> it is. And I'm a YouTuber. <laughs> That's literally what it is. I'm not, I'm not, I never hide that from people. I always think it's so funny. Yeah. That I have a degree essentially in propaganda, and I think that's probably why, on some level, I am now um, able to pick up on propaganda um, easily when I see it, especially when it comes from the left. Um, but so I went through my indoctrination years. I didn't know a single conservative the entire time that I was in university. Not a professor, not a student, not a friend, no one. It was, uh, and this is also in Canada, right? Okay. This is in a, a major city in in Canada, so. It would have been very uh, liberal there anyways. And I just sort of assumed the kind of very um, uh, like low IQ perspective that conservative, bad, liberal, good. That that was my basic worldview, right? <laughs> conservative is old and backwards and liberal is like hip and cool and we're the new kids and this is the new way we're going to do things. Watch out, old people. Here we come. This kind of attitude, right? This went on for five years. This went on for five years, and I never really questioned it. And then, so I left. I left university with that programming, with these assumptions about the world. Um, you know that you know uh, whiteness had an inherent evilness to it. That colonialism means that all white people are bad, and you know white so did, guilt did, and the whole so thing. I'm curious because I hear a lot of stuff about what goes on in universities now mm -hmm. with these courses, but. Because I'm, I'm a computer science graduate, so it, <laughs> you know th there was no like there there isn't even an option for any kind of programming in that. Well, apart from literal programming, right? Yeah. Um, so did they literally like teach you that? Like, did they yeah. literally have like yeah. parts of lectures saying like I'm curious? Like, we we were taught that whiteness is a social construct which signifies uh, hegemony and power. Um, and, um, that comes from the colonial era, which, um, people today still benefit from mm -hmm. that, um, all Western countries that engaged in colonialism only had their wealth because they stole it from other people, um, that they offered nothing to the world from themselves, that every, everything that, you know, we know as being Western inventions or European inventions, um, 
you know, came off the backs of the people who they oppressed. Mm. That, that essentially was the kind of racial dynamic of the ideology. And then the feminism was another layer on top of that. Wow. Yeah. But there was one professor. I, I mean, I did gender studies courses as electives, actually. I had like a trans professor like eight years ago. You know, like this, this has been in the university for a long time, these sorts of ideas. And they're, they're just now gaining prominence um, in the public, the public sort of awareness. But yeah, I mean, I kind of, I, I mean, I don't know, I guess I, even back then I was a little bit anti-establishment mm -hmm. and I kind of felt a discomfort with feminism, you know, like I felt like there was something cringy about it even back then. And I took those courses cause they were easy. I knew what to say. It was literally a formula. You say the right thing, you get your A, and it was like easy. But then when I I got out of university, I had a, a, a ton of experiences with feminists. Now, not all feminists. I know some feminists actually who are quite feminine and totally stable relationships. They're great people. But um, specifically um, when I was living in Ireland, these really radical feminist girls who would uh, kind of police my appearance. Um, so, you know, you shouldn't dress, like, I don't dress promiscuously, promiscuously. Like I'm a pretty modest person, but if I, like, there was one time I was wearing a very feminine, like pink dress, like a long dress. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend saying, you know, you should be careful um, when you're sort of eliciting the male gaze. You know, and this this is a girl who is wearing like a button down and baggy jeans and van, right? Oh, yeah. This kind of feminist um, and feminists of the same sort sort kind of judging me and judge me by my appearance and by the fact that maybe I have like a feminine voice and I have feminine mannerisms. You know, femininity was seen as a weakness because the whole thing about feminism is that you are able to compete with men on men's level, right? So if you're playing into what your, your natural kind of inclination is as a feminine woman, you get judged for that by feminists. And I always hated that. Mm. And then Trump came along and I was at the time working in a yoga studio with like tons of feminists and like vegans. I was like in a vegan kitchen cooking and stuff. Okay. So you can imagine the sorts of girls, Captain <laughs> <laughs> piercings, like henna, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, hippy dippy girls now, lovely, lovely people, not trying to be mean or anything, but you know, as part. long as you agree with them, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, we'd be in the kitchen talking as you do while you're cooking and stuff, and it was just constant all of this stuff about how you know Trump is a Nazi, Trump is a fascist, even either, even people who are like PewDiePie is a fascist. And like, I've been watching YouTube for a really, really long time. And I knew that PewDiePie wasn't a Nazi. So I was just kind of like, these people are wrong. So I went and looked for myself and I found myself loving Trump. I found myself <laughs> laughing all the time, you know, especially that, that Rosie O'Donnell comment. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. That was like, I mean, for me, because even back in my, my liberal days, I was very anti-establishment. The fact that Trump wasn't a career politician. He appeared to be this edgy outsider. I felt like I was hearing his real voice and that it wasn't a script. That made me like him because I had felt so jaded by the Bush years. You know, the Bush years were just so depressing that I just tuned out Obama. You know, I was just like, I'm, I don't even... I don't even care about American politics anymore, but this new fresh energy that Trump brought to the table really made me interested in conservatism. 
And then I went down the pipeline, Dave Rubin, you know, uh, Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson, um, all of those big guys, you know, those were the next step. And then I sort of Which got funny because those guys aren't even conservatives. No, they're not. They're not. They're, they're, <laughs> they're liberals. They're liberals. But yeah. that's the funny thing about the Overton window is that had, had, it has shifted so far in the favor of the extreme leftists that now classic liberals were kind of conservative seeming. You know, and that was and that was kind of the first thing that I that I really started um, being exposed to. Jordan Peterson was a big part of it for me because at the time I was also not in a very happy place in my life. I was kind of dead end job, not a lot of direction, in an unhappy relationship, not looking after myself, and so um, for me, the the kind of what I feel like is a little cringy now, the pick yourself up by your bootstraps kind of rhetoric. Yeah. of Jordan Peterson, you know, the good dad kind of uh, rhetoric. You cleaned your room. I cleaned my room and I did the self-authoring program and I made a little a little plan for my life. And, you know, I've been following it ever since. And two years now down the line, um, sharing the things that I've sort of achieved and the things that I'm thinking about and the development of my ideas, it's just gotten better and better. One of the, the biggest things that Jordan Peterson gave me that whatever I feel about him now will never stop me being grateful to him for is how powerful telling the truth is uh, not just to others, but to yourself. You can't um, fix your life. You can't um, get better and grow as an individual. If you aren't able to be honest with yourself about the state that you are in and what you've done to put, like put yourself there basically. So yeah, that's kind of it. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's the, the origin story. <laughs> uh, so one of the videos I watched on your channel, I think it's the most popular one on there, is mm -hmm. saying um, I lost all my friends in the culture war. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that was a that was a very I don't even know the word. It's just a, a, a that was a fascinating listen. Um, oh, thank you. Very, yeah, just very honest and heartfelt. And I mean, is that still the way? Is that still the way you feel? Um, you, unfortunately, you... it's nothing has changed mm. as a result. You know, I I made that I made that video in a, in a bit of desperation because I had literally been uh, experiencing a kind of battle of ideas with my best friends from university. You know, um, a friend who was like a women's studies major. You know what I mean? So like feminism was a very foundational part of her identity. And she found um, my social media, sort of saw me criticizing and making fun of social media, saw me using words that she believed to be um, politically incorrect, um, you know, not nice words. Oh. Um, and, you know, being a troll, you know, that's my sense of humor. Sorry, I've got four brothers. Like, that's just, <laughs> that's just the way I am, you know. Um, and she ghosted me. Mm. She ghosted me. And ironically, she decided to have her her boyfriend or her husband now talk to me for her. So I was in this really weird back and forth of like trying to salvage a friendship and not being able to, because I couldn't talk to her because she wouldn't dialogue with me. She just shut me out and I couldn't take it anymore. And I was just like, look, I need to choose me in this, you know? And this is, this is something that a lot of people who have, um, moved more right or, you know, kept 
kept their uh, position firm as classic liberals as the left has become more extreme have dealt with mm -hmm. is the breakdown of their family relationships, their friendships, um, you know, even work relationships. People have lost jobs. People, people have had their lives um, very affected by the culture war, you know, that, that that's been going on ever since Trump really. And, my 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 purpose with making that video was really not to encourage people to just cut ties because of yeah. political differences. That's not at all what I wanted to say. Um, but if people are going to ghost you, disavow you, mm -hmm. you know, what are you supposed to do in that situation? You're gonna just prostrate yourself and bend a knee and you know, you know, be like this worm that's just like begging for acceptance? No, like you can't do that. You have to. I think you have to choose yourself at the end of the day. And I think it's also a very natural thing, politics or not, that sometimes we outgrow friendships. Yeah. You know, some, sometimes we need to let relationships that are toxic go. Um, and I'm always open to them coming back into my life. Um, I will always have a very soft spot in my heart for them. I don't care that they're liberals. Like that doesn't actually bother me. Um, it mean, bothers them that I'm not. I mean, what is it that, has led to this situation where people are literally ending relationships, getting divorced, losing friendships over politics. I mean, that that didn't used to be the case. You know, people would disagree mm -hmm. and it was like, okay, we can disagree. I mean, I've got so many friends I disagree with stuff on, right? Like I've got mm -hmm. a lot of my friends lean more, lean more left than I do. Lots of us have different ideas of some of the things we were talking about earlier, like the level of racism in society and how it affects things and how it should be addressed. I'm very anti-affirmative action, but mm -hmm. you know, I've got lots of friends who think like, no, affirmative action is a good idea because of X, Y, Z. And they're all super smart people and they're all very good people. So, you know, we can listen to each other's opinions and we can talk and we can converse and there's no assumption of malice on either side. Yes. I don't, I don't think my friend thinks that because he's, evil. He doesn't think I think, you know, we know each other. So it's not like, oh, Zuby's just like some evil, radical, <laughs> radical guy. You know, it's like, no, he's just looking at it from this perspective. I'm looking at, you know, it's really, it's, it's really empathy, isn't it? Yeah. It's really empathy. That That's mm -hmm. all it is. And that seems to be, that seems to be missing. I don't know if it's because of the hype that was caused by Trump and by Brexit in the UK. I don't know if it's social media, which is just making everything that much worse. I, I it might be all these factors, but yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's sad when I hear these stories of people losing, especially long-term friendships or romantic relationships or anything like that because of political differences. I mean, if, if you're both on super extreme ends of either spectrum, then okay, that might not, that might not work to begin with. But you know, yeah. I do, I do believe that 90% of the population is like fairly, fairly centered. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but I think, you know, the the thing that kind of makes it tricky for people like um, people who live in the UK or people who live in Canada is that we have very strict hate speech laws. Um, and um, if you are accused of hate speech in either of these countries, you can, you can um, get some pretty serious punishments for that. And, you know, people, because there is this uh, climate of self-censorship and wanting to protect oneself and insulate one's life away from people who could be deemed people espousing hate speech. There, there is this need to just eliminate the person as a, as an act of self-preservation. And I think that's what happened with my friends. They saw what I was saying that was, you know, anti-feminism, 
you know, speaking out against feminism and saying, no, I think this is actually not helping women for these reasons. Or um, saying, you know, mass immigration, on like unending mass immigration is not good for, for the nation as a whole, you know? Um, saying things like that. Or what was the other one? Um, well, I guess even promoting Christianity. You know, these are people who are very secular and see Christianity as being extremely morally oppressive to people. Yeah. So all of these things... Uh, to them is it's not just a difference in opinion. It's a literal hate speech. Mm. It's something which in their mind leads to violence against people who are, you know, different than them. And from that perspective, I can understand why they wanted to distance themselves from me. I don't agree with them. I don't think I, you could, you, I would challenge anyone to find me espousing violence or encouraging violence towards anyone for any reason on any platform. But to them, what I was saying not only was seen as something which is hurting others, but I think because they were so identified with you know, the label feminist um, and the ideology of liberalism, they couldn't, they couldn't see my criticism of these things as anything other than um, a, a, an attack on them as individuals. Yeah. When they saw me criticizing feminism, my feminist friend felt that I was attacking her. Yeah. You know? So it, I, I understand it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because the people who have become, say, or the people who are secular liberals or leftists, I find them to be mm -hmm. a lot more religiously intolerant than actual yes. religious conservative people. Like it's, it's really yeah. weird. It's like there's, there's, there's been this inversion. Like I remember, um, I remember in the nineties when it was generally like right wing Christians who were really, really like stuffy and intolerant and were, were clamping down on free speech, in fact, right? So whether it was music or especially hip hop and metal, video games, movies, right? They were the ones who had the, the picket signs and were you exactly. know, trying to boycott people. I remember when Eminem when Eminem blew up as a rapper and they were trying to get his music banned off. They were like, this was, this was generally like Christian right-leaning groups and parties and organizations and individuals. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really strange how the whole thing has just, it's flipped on its head now. Yeah. Now that now conservatism is the counterculture, right? Yeah. The, the dissidents are all <laughs> like the dissidents <laughs> are the conservatives and the libertarians who are like, Oh no, no, there are two genders, right? That's yeah. now that those are now the dissidents. And, it's really strange to me, right? It's like on this side, you've been talking about tolerance for so long. You've been talking about tolerance and tolerance and not being bigoted and not, and then the hypocrisy on a daily basis, it just, it just kind of amazes me. Yes. I, you know, like, yeah, I know exactly. very, very bizarre. Yeah. Um, I think that that point um, and being aware of that point and sort of seeing the sort of inversion aspect of it is something that, should remind us that at the end of the day, like, yes, having political convic convictions is important. You know, as individuals in a democracy, we need to be politically aware of what's going on. We should have our positions. We should be informed so we can make informed votes and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's just politics. It's a game kind of in and of itself. Um, do you know, do you know the uh, philosopher named Alan Watts, possibly? I do. I'm not familiar with yeah. his work, but I know the name. You know him, yeah. So he has a really great quote, and he says, politics is like sleeping. First you sleep on your left, and then you sleep on your right, and then you sleep on your back, and it's thus that the world goes round, <laughs> right? And it, that's just it. You know, I, I try and – that this is why I'm kind of 
in my content, I'm trying to shift towards promoting what I think is good, which is family and femininity and, you know, being, being of strong moral character and, you know, religion and these sorts of things, because there is this kind of poisoning of your heart and your soul. If you're just obsessing about these things all day long, you know, um, and it, it can, it can just feel kind of depressing when you look out the world and you see this just constant battling and, you know, like you said, friends, friends are being, you know, friendships are being destroyed and everything. If you, if you're only focusing on the negative and the sort of team sport aspect mm -hmm. of politics, you lose sight of what's really important. That's very true. That's very true. I mean, if, if you spend all day fighting demons, whether it's on, <laughs> on Twitter or in real life, you eventually become one, right? If you start yes. trying to fight, if you start trying to fight SJW stuff all the time, you end up becoming like your own kind of SJW. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so guilty of that. You know, I'm sure that I have been a right wing social justice warrior on numerous occasions in yeah. my Twitter in my Twitter lifetime. Um, you, you can always find some stupid tweet or stupid article or stupid blog post or dumb opinion, which you can just spend all day just finding those and it's true. criticizing them. And it's true. And that's something that you see a lot of on Twitter. And I find this very interesting. Um, right wing Twitter is more filled with images of um, like, look at this leftist thing, lol, like laughing at it. Like, look at this crazy leftist thing. And we're all like, we're like exposing ourselves to things which make us react. Yeah. And that's what gets the likes and the retweets. There isn't like, you don't see like, this is my manifesto for nationalism and and we're going to solve society's problems from the perspective of conservatives you don't see that stuff because that doesn't get likes and retweets you know and that's kind of the sinister part of social media is that it's not solution oriented no it's, it's about point scoring yes point exactly. scoring what's the exactly. term yeah yeah i i get caught in it sometimes i i can't i can't lie we all do I, yeah exactly because what what always happens with me though is i'll put something out and I mean, I've got a big following, especially on Twitter now, but it's like, I'll put something out and then four or five days, like a week later, sometimes a month later, I'm still receiving responses to something <laughs> that I wrote literally like a week ago. And like my brain and my life has just kind of yeah. moved on and people are still like just going and going. And I'm just like, yeah, I often mute. I like yeah, I'll yeah, mute yeah, because yeah. I can't take anymore. And I also like, I wipe my Twitter clean. Um, oh, okay every every month or so because the thing is when you're when you're the kind of person who is like me and probably like yourself too and you know you're a little bit of a troll you know <laughs> you say things which are edgy and that's your sense of humor um that can be easily taken out of context it can be easily reported and then all that you've built on your platform can be gone like that yeah. and so i just wipe it clean yeah, every it, it, it makes sense i make i purposefully do not delete my tweets that's like, brave. When I when I when I run for pol when I run in like political sphere in like ten or fifteen years, I want them to I want them to dig them all out. <laughs> <laughs> I want them to move. <laughs> so I so I can not apologize. So Zuby, you said um twenty eighteen, you said feminism is cancer upon society. What what do you mean by that? I mean this. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we'll see how that strategy works out for me. I don't. I don't think I've ever written anything that is like so beyond the pale that you know it's just it's just my opinions. But my thought on it is like, look, the extremists on like the other side who are pushing some of these absolutely bananas ideas of you know 
men getting pregnant and, and menstruating and females having penises and all that. Like they're, they're not shutting up. So I'm like, look, well, you need a, no, you there needs, to push back. Yeah, it's like, exactly. There has to be someone else. There have to be other people who are like, I said that in a tweet a couple weeks ago about some like because there there are tons of these people on like literally blue check mark people on Twitter who are yeah. like I hate white people white people are so evil and there, and like there are whole ca- accounts that are dedicated to getting screenshots of this and like compiling them there are thousands of them and I said this like in one one tweet a few weeks ago so like you know I respect that this is your opinion. I I believe you have a right to say it. I disagree with you, but I just can't let you get away with it. <laughs> and that, that's that's my that's my perspective on it. So, you know, if if we are engaged in a cultural war, mm. it is a war of ideas. And um we while we shouldn't um you know let the politics and the political side of things be, you know, the priority in our lives. We, we can't let this sort of madness, this liberal madness dominate our societies because, you know, the way that it will affect future generations will be so damaging. Our, our countries will, won't be recognizable in 100 years. No, that's true. It's true. So let's talk about something a little, uh, a little happier. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw that you recently got engaged. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. That's awesome. You touched you touched on femininity. Now I've had a lot of guys um, from the sort of masculine sphere of mm-hmm. Twitter uh, featured on the podcast, but we haven't really talked much about femininity. I, I can't think of a better candidate to to talk about it. So, how do you define femininity, and what do you think are its virtues? What do you think people are missing? I don't even know what the question exactly there is, but yeah, no, I, I get you. Yeah. Um, I think um, one of the easiest ways that, you know, I tend to think about the, describing femininity is in, re- is in relation to its counterpart masculinity. And um, there is a saying, I think, I saw, I think it was a limitable man said it. Um, and I thought it was a very uh, beautiful way of putting it that, you know, men, men are made masculinity is something which is a creative process. Um, whereas femininity is something that's preserved. Um, Mm. I I think femininity is something that is the natural state of most women. Um, now of course the way that you express your femininity will be, it will be determined by your biology, you know, like hormones are a huge part of the way that we express our femininity and masculinity as people. But, Femininity is defined by, in its real practical terms, um, you know, chastity, um, modesty, gentleness, kindness. Um, but then, you know, in motherhood, there's there can be a kind of fierceness to it as well. You I'm know, gonna, there, I'm, I'm making a list. I'm going to put these into a tweet and see how many people <laughs> I trigger. Um, you know, I think uh, so. You know, the the yin yang kind of element of of like energy femininity is the it's the yin and i think women can embody this in in like a variety of different ways um this was something that i was talking about on my my twitter not that long ago was someone from the the red pill man twitter was like feminine women don't do masculine hobbies and i and i just really didn't like that that didn't sit well with me um because you know i like i said before i grew up with four brothers so you know, I like being outside and hiking and like, I actually weight lift, like I do deadlifts and just like my fiance, you know, 
the weightlifting, which is traditionally and technically kind of a more masculine activity, the way that I do it because I target the parts of my body that I want to look more feminine has made me more feminine, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, and same with like shooting, like I like to shoot guns and I bet I could outshoot the guy who made that tweet in heels. You know, it's not <laughs> about the hobby itself. It's not necessarily about what it is that you're doing. It's how you do it. You know, it's it's kind of a, it's like a metaphysical thing, femininity, and I think it can be expressed in a variety of different ways. It's it's one of those things. It's hard to peck down, but you know it when you see it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, you know, some people are probably trying to take this out of context, but it's a lot more passive than masculinity. Yeah, exactly, right? and it masculinity is. is very it's very active, right? You can be a woman and you can just walk out of your house and walk around and look pretty and you know, things, things will happen, right? You know, like, like, you know, you, no, but you know, you know what I mean? Like things, things, things might happen, right? If you're a guy, like nothing happens. Like you, you go out, if you don't make something happen as a guy, nothing happens. Like no, no one, nothing, <laughs> nothing like comes to you. You know what I mean? Yes. Like nothing comes to you. Like as, as a woman, like if you optimize your looks and you, you know, dress well and present yourself in a, in a nice way, things will come to you. Not Absolutely. even, yeah, not even just for men, like the world, the world will, give you stuff. I think if you, if, as a man, if you want the world to give you anything, like if you don't want to be like on the, on the, uh, sitting outside, like shaking a cup, you've got to go out and you got to do something. Uh, you, yeah. you, you've got to, yeah, that, that's how I, uh, that's like a very blunt version. I think that's uh, totally right. I yeah. really do. And you can't underestimate the maternal instinct and how that is expressed um, through femininity. And I think that this you know, the maternal instinct is something which is very fundamental to um, feminine nature. And you will see, you know, feminists or feminist feminist types try and do everything that they can to subvert their own maternal instinct. Oh but then that ends up getting translated onto like their cats and their dogs mm-hmm. and, you know, um, helping helping people who are not a part of their immediate family unit. You know, you'll see a lot of um, kind of charity work mm-hmm. being done by these types, you know, trying to help the most disadvantaged. That nurturing maternal instinct is going to express itself one way or another, whether it's through raising children, which I think is in most situations the ideal manifestation of the maternal instinct, um, or it's going to be like, I'm a, I'm a cat lady type thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So why do you think there's... um? I mean, we've been talking about inversion for a long time, but why why are people, both men and women, seem to be rejecting the ideas of both roles in the Western world anyway? Like I said, I mean, my family background is originally from Nigeria. I grew up in Saudi Arabia. So stuff is still very traditional in those places. Like there's no there's no confusion about what a man is and what a woman is. And gender roles are pretty, you know, some people might say too clearly defined, but they're pretty well defined you know there's some certainly in nigeria you know there's a lot more wiggle room saudi it's kind of like locked yeah um yeah but in in the in the uk and canada in australia you know in parts of europe in the u.s it it just seems like i don't know even guys Mm -hmm. there are certain men who will hear even what you said and they and they'll fight you on that saying no no, women women should you know be like men basically yeah is it just the programming I think it's I think it's it's both ideological and biological. I think the um, the ideology of being gender fluid or being a butch girl or a more feminine guy is cool. It's mm-hmm. trendy. It's it is the preferred 
way to be right now in pop culture. So that has influence on people's minds. You can't deny that. But I think that there is another aspect of this in that we are living in extremely toxic environments. Everything we eat is wrapped in plastic. Most people are eating highly processed foods. Um, all of these things affect our endocrine system and our hormonal balance. And there have been studies that show that um, the hormonal balance of mothers when they have children you know, in their womb when they're pregnant um, can determine what the functioning of that child's endocrine system will be like when they are adults. Oh, wow. So you have a you know pregnant woman who is low like um, low or imbalanced in her testosterone and estrogen levels, and you have a male baby, which is being flooded with estrogen, there is evidence to suggest that you will end up with a gay, a gay boy or a boy who would maybe end up with gender dysphoria. Now that's not, you know, that's not hard, hard line science. That was one study that I saw, but that makes sense to me. You know, that really makes sense to me. We are living in very highly estrogenic environments. And I think that, um, estrogen, the way that it affects women when it's like out of whack, there is this kind of shrillness. There's this kind of harshness. There's this kind of like erratic emotionalness, um, which you do see in lots of women, modern women today. And obviously when, um, men have an endocrine system, which favors estrogen, you're going to see a softer, more feminine. Like, that's why you see like gay guys, they, they genuinely and naturally, they move in a feminine way. They speak in a feminine way. Everything about them has this feminine quality. So I don't think you can underestimate, um, the hormonal and the biological element of this. Cause I think it plays a really fundamental role as well. Mm. You stop drinking the water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a tough one. Like it's something that I worry about all the time because, you know, I, I currently live in a city. I'm trying to get out of the city, but you know, when you, when you work in a city and your livelihood is dependent on the convenience of the city, that's not easy. And, you know, I'm constantly, as soon as I get home, you know, take everything out of the plastic, put it in glass, you know, and it's yeah. like, it's, it's this thing that you're, it's like an uphill battle. It's yeah. very, very difficult to try and keep your, your, um, your food and what you ingest in your environment free of yeah. these sort of very modern toxins. It's very true. And I mean, I mean, male testosterone levels and sperm counts and all that have been tanking over the past couple of decades as well. So, yes. but yes. I think I'm, it's, I'm very like conscious of it all hit my workouts and make sure I eat my steaks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, That's really important for men. Men, yeah. what, what's really interesting as well that I read, um, it was actually, it was a part of the same study that, um, so men who, so wait, obviously when you do a workout, when you're doing your deadlifts, you get a testosterone boost, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that is also true for like, if you're like going into an interview, really competitive job, you really want it. You get a testosterone boost from these sort of competitive um, environmental external activities that you're doing. It affects your biology. And um, women who are in corporate environments, competitive environments, um, test to be higher in testosterone than women who aren't. So our environments and what we're doing in our environments and actually like what things we do affects our biology as well you know not just like what we're ingesting and what we're being exposed to but you have women being encouraged to act like men of course that's going to make them more manly mm. you know so there's that aspect of it as well it would be interesting to know what the um that's like a bit of a chicken and the egg one isn't it in yeah terms of, in terms of the job one 
Yes. Because it would be interesting to know, you know, do women who have more masculine traits or higher testosterone, or are they just naturally, I'd imagine they're going to be more drawn to some of those high powered careers or sports or competitive fields. It's possible. And I mean, then- I, I feel like um, when I, like if, when I've had a really good workout and I do my deadlifts and stuff, um, I admittedly haven't been doing going to the gym as much as I should lately but I know that when I am and when I do the when I do my deadlifts for like days afterwards it's like I have this clarity you know Mm -hmm. like I feel strong in myself and it's like less of this like feminine irrational emotional chitter chatter up there you know it's just like a little drip of what it's like to be a man (laughs) What, what, what are you pulling on deadlifts I just need to make sure I'm not under threat oh my god it's so embarrassing the best I've ever done is 125 pounds 125 pounds. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Which is like roughly my body weight. So I think like that was my goal was to be able to deadlift my body weight and like, I'm not going for bulk. Yeah. So. <laughs> good. I'm just making sure my records are safe. You know When people start talking deadlifts, I'm like, okay, okay. Let me make sure like, don't want to be challenged here. <laughs> uh, we've just gone over an hour. So oh, I feel like we, we could talk for another, for another one, but I know I'm going to have to edit this down and I don't want it to take forever. What have you got coming up? I know you, of course, you've got your YouTube channel. I take it you're going to be putting out lots of new videos. Where can people find you? Uh, So you can search Critical Condition on YouTube or at CC Bucko on Twitter. My my content on Twitter is a little bit more daily, a little bit more news focused, a little bit more comedy focused. On YouTube, I make two different types of videos. Um, I do videos where I just sit in front of the camera and it's kind of stream of consciousness zero editing so if you have the attention span and the patience for that style of video you can check those out um and those are just like my personal opinions often the time oftentimes i'm figuring things out as i speak in those videos they tend to be um some of people's favorites videos by me and i'm also working on a um a podcast right now called girl talk where i have been trying to interview um and chat with different types of right-wing women from across the right-wing spectrum, because there's a lot of diversity in opinion, even among right-wing women. And to sort of talk about the things that are important to us, to talk about fertility, to talk about motherhood, to talk about, you know, real women's wisdom, their lived wisdom, and sort of collect that into a unified series that young women or women who are feeling a little lost or feeling like, I don't have a community, they can go there and they can see that there's a wide range of women out there who, you know, they reject the feminism, they reject liberalism. These are brilliant women. There is this often mis- misconception that right-wing women are like lobotomized, Stepford wife type women. They're high IQ, lovely women with a lot to offer. So I'm trying to feature as many of them as possible. You'll get one of those um, on a Sunday of every week. Awesome. Cece, thank you so much for joining the show. It's been awesome talking to you. And um, I wish you good luck with all of your future product. I wish you good luck with all of your future projects, not products. Projects. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I hope we can do this again sometime in the future. Absolutely. We will. Details matter. And at OZ Lifestyle Brands, they're all about the details. Their selection of men's accessories balance style with substance and quality and craftsmanship, showcasing both classic and casual designs. They also make shopping the easiest it's ever been for you while leaving plenty of change in your pocket for your next adventure. I highly recommend them. They've got some really dope wallets, watches, t-shirts, whole bunch of cool stuff there. If you're a man who's looking to style up their game without blowing the bank, I highly recommend OZ Lifestyle Brands. 
OZ Lifestyle Brands delivers a unique experience to elevate style for men with ultra discerning tastes. OZ is for men who found their calling but don't need to shout about it. So go check out their full range of products at OZLifestyleBrands.com. That is OZLifestyleBrands.com. To get 20% off your entire first order, just use the code ZUBYMUSIC at checkout for 20% off. That's ZUBYMUSIC at checkout for 20% off at OZLifestyleBrands.com. Go check them out. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.